Welcome aboard another great episode of the Sing Second Podcast, your view into the stories behind the alumni of the U.S. Naval Academy. I am John Schofield from the Alumni Association and Foundation. Joining me from the class of 99 is Chris Cervello, the co-host and producer, old man radio runner and golfer extraordinaire. Still in African-American History Month, we have had a great time this month telling the stories of some of our most significant alumni. And this week, we're so happy to be joined by Admiral Julius Caesar, recent uh, distinguished graduate of the Naval Academy Alumni Association and Foundation and the president of NAMA, the Naval Academy Minority Association. Joining him will be Admiral Derwood Curtis, DC Curtis, one of the original founders of the Naval Academy Minority Association. Uh, The two of them are gonna give their perspective of their time at the Naval Academy, uh, both being you know, kind of mid to late 70s uh, midshipmen, what they saw sort of a complement to the uh, conversation Chris and I had at the beginning of the month with Charlie Bolden. Um, it, just a great, great interview. So stick around for that. Um, first things first, uh, unfortunately, the uh, the competition that meant the most to us was our star meet against Army. Unfortunately, wrestling lost that star um, it was a close match. They were down way, way big early, uh, came back, made it close. Uh, the score was a little closer than than the actual competition was. And Navy wrestling dropped the star meet to Army 18 to 17. Uh, I can tell you that that is a surprise. I don't think they had lost the star uh, since Kerry Kolat came aboard. It was certainly a star that they were counting on. And it now makes the star series, Chris Cervello, Nine, nine, and one. We are dead even with Army in the Star Series. And if you're not keeping track at home, ladies and gentlemen, the uh, remaining star matchups are women's tennis here in Annapolis on March 30th, men's and women's outdoor track and field up at West Point on April 6th, women's lacrosse here in Annapolis on April 13th, men's lacrosse at West Point on April 13th, men's tennis on April 20th, and then finally baseball up at West Point, April 26th and 28th. So it's going to come down to the wire, ladies and gentlemen. But Chris, for me, I tried to get to wrestling. Uh, My son had a uh, basketball game, so I couldn't get down there. But, you know, just kind of a disappointing disappointing and surprising outcome there. Um, You know, particularly when you expect uh, wrestling to come through. And it sort of topped an overall surprising weekend for some of our bigger sports men's lacrosse got trounced at Towson 17 to 5 women's lacrosse uh you know gave us some sunshine through the clouds beating East Carolina 16 to 6 but you know here we are we're talking about sports again ladies and gentlemen mostly because we can't help ourselves but Chris what's your perspective on these outcomes I hope men's and women's tennis uh is good I think we win track and field uh, I'm worried about lacrosse. I'm definitely worried about men's lacrosse. Uh, w- women's lacrosse played Army really tough last year, but it wasn't to be. I think we lose baseball. So, I mean, you, you do the math. I think it comes down to tennis. I mean, I think if we can win both those tennis meets, uh, you, you know, we're we're okay. But, um, man, it, it's a lot closer than I really had hoped it would be. Yeah, it was an unfortunate uh, outcome there. So we will put a pin in that. 
leave it to the uh, to the anchors away boys to talk more about those sporting outcomes, including basketball losing. Um, you know, the the men's team is now in a total free fall, um, and things are looking really really tough there. But um, you know, it, it, I I think we just have to keep supporting the boys, supporting the ladies. Uh, and hopefully they get the results that they need uh, going down the stretch. On the note of basketball, though, ladies and gentlemen, I got confirmation from former 1987 graduate, former point guard of uh, the basketball team when David Robinson was playing, joining us in March uh, to discuss basketball, March Madness, and all things Navy basketball will be Doug Wojcik, currently the number one assistant to Tom Izzo at Michigan State. That should be a pretty darn cool interview. Uh, let's talk about a couple of other things that took place this weekend before we get to um, the interviews. Number one, it is African-American History Month, and it was awesome. Class of 88 grad Matisse Wright Springer was named the Pioneer Award winner for the BEYA, Black Engineer of the, War Engineer of the Year Award. Um, the annual awards recognize exceptional Black engineers who have made significant contributions in their respective STEM fields. Uh, Matisse was honored in the gala on Saturday night up here at the Baltimore Convention Center. Really awesome honor for Matisse. She's a very involved alum on the board um, and just a great thing, you know, particularly highlighting how involved our alumni are in STEM fields. Hats off to Matisse Wright Springer, a graduate of character and consequence. One other thing that happened this weekend, and this is where I'm going to get Chris's perspective, we had the Commissioning 101 event here at the Naval Academy Alumni Association and Foundation Flugel Alumni Center. Hundreds of parents rolled in here um, getting a briefing from us about what to expect during commissioning week. Now, you know, when I was the PAO at the Naval Academy, I would think that that was something that the yard should provide. But this is kind of evidentiary, ladies and gentlemen, of what the Naval Academy Alumni Association and Foundation does to go the extra mile to reach out to our parents. I have to give a big shout out to Lori Coogan, who runs our parent programs, uh, Nancy Murray, uh, who directs our engagement, uh, TJ Grady and Don Kennedy, uh, Don Kennedy from the class of 92, the director of the Flugel Alumni Center gave a great brief um, and was able to rely upon his experience. He used to run special events when he was on active duty before he came to work here. You know, and so this is just one other thing that we do to get parents ready for a really, really action-packed week that'll be here before you know it. Um, and and Chris, I don't know, you know, if you know Tom and Liz Cervello came rolling up here to get a briefing from the Alumni Association back in the day when you were getting ready to graduate. Um, by the way, graduate in the top 100, nerd. Um, uh, it, uh, you know, it, it it is it is something, and I had never seen this happen before. But hundreds and hundreds of parents were in here. They got a briefing from USAA. They got a briefing from First Command about you know the the importance of financial wisdom. Um, you know, for their soon to be graduates going forward in the Fleet and Marine Corps. And then they had the opportunity to see a bunch of vendors here in the new building. You know, it, for me, Chris, it's it's just another sign of what the Alumni Association does to reach out and help people. So to answer your question, no, I, I don't believe my my <laughs> folks did that, uh, and and not just because that they wouldn't have driven the hour to get that brief, but um, especially not my retired chief dad. Um, but I just don't think that they offered those sorts of resources uh, back in 1999. Uh, 
Probably for a lot of reasons. I mean, one, we've seen the Alumni Association and Foundation grow tremendously in the 25 or so years uh, since I've been um, uh, out of the academy. But also, I think, you know, there's a, I guess, generationally, and not to go too sociological on you, but I mean, I think there's more of a connection between parents and new graduates of college, even of service academies. And so these new graduates are going to lean on their parents. Their parents are going to be much more involved, perhaps than uh, parents were, uh, you know, two decades, two and a half decades ago. So I think it's great. I mean, I think it's anything that the Alumni Association can do, one, to prepare graduates for entering the fleet, prepare those families to be a, uh, you know, uh, part of the family, part of the larger blue family, I I think is fantastic. And it's just another example of uh, grads getting their money's worth, honestly, uh, out of the Alumni Association. Yeah, and- you know, it does remind me one of the main talking points that we got across during Commissioning 101 is, ladies and gentlemen, please talk to your midshipmen. You know, like there there were amazing questions and I'm not belittling the questions. You know, I've, I've, I've been the parent up at Temple University asking every single question I could about the health and welfare of my son. Um, but, you know, there were a lot of questions which, you know, really kind of made me shake my head and say, man, these kids are about to go out. They are like five months away from standing in front of a division on a ship, you know, potentially from, from taking bullets, uh, from, from being on the front lines, you know, and, and so, you know, let's put some trust in them that they're going to be able to navigate commissioning week. You know, we had questions from, Hey, what kind of shoulder boards do we need to buy them to, can we carry chairs onto the yard and, and and a lot of those questions are great, and I refer to I refer everyone to our Commissioning 101 resource guide, which is on the Alumni Association and Foundation website. But please talk to your midshipmen. That's the biggest talking point that I can give you. Talk to them. Um, you know, ask them those questions. Find out what they're doing, and most of all, put a plan together. You know, like a lot of people get to Commissioning Week and they think it's like every day, every night is just a celebration. You have to remember that they still have military commitments that week. They still have color parade. They still have, you know, honors and and award ceremonies to go to. So before you like rent that house and and throw all day soirees, definitely talk to your midshipmen and make sure, um, you know, that you've got it together and you know what's up. Um, Yeah, that that is friendly advice from your uh, neighborhood public affairs officers here, Chris and John. Um, I'll tell you what, Chris said that the Alumni Association has come a long way. Um, Nothing could be uh, a bigger sign of that than this next interview. Uh, What Admirals Julius Caesar and D.C. Curtis have done to grow, nurture, uh, and make the Naval Academy Minority Association a powerhouse, um, you know, to continue to advocate for people like Matisse Wright Springer, um, you know, to become those graduates going out there, getting the support they need. We're going to talk to them right now. An amazing interview. Without any further ado, here's our interview with DC Curtis and Julius Caesar, both distinguished graduates of the Naval Academy Alumni Association and Foundation, and deservedly so. Today, very happy to be joined by one of the founders of the Naval Academy Minority Association, Admiral DC Curtis, and the current president of the Naval Academy Minority Association, Admiral Julius Caesar. Uh, Admiral Caesar from the great class of 77, Admiral Curtis from the great class of 76, both distinguished graduates from the Naval Academy Alumni Association and Foundation, 
and making time during a very busy week for both of them uh, to give us their perspectives um, as African-American graduates of the Naval Academy during African-American History Month and kind of capitalizing on the conversations we've had so far with Mary McElroy at the beginning of the month, um, Admiral, or General Bolden uh, just this past week, and now getting perspective uh, from two great gentlemen uh, with whom I've, I've, I've had the pleasure of meeting um, and working with Admiral Curtis in the past. First of all, gentlemen, thank you so much for making the time. Admiral Caesar, I, I'd like to start with you um, as the president of the Naval Academy Minority Association. You know, for for those listeners who might not be, uh, you know, aware of of the importance of the SIG and the work of the SIG, you know, how do you, how do you frame it? How would you like to introduce the listeners to to the importance of of this organization? Namaz, first of all, thank you for this opportunity. Really, uh, you know, appreciate the, you know the outreach and uh, always good to partner with uh, uh, Admiral Curtis, DC Curtis, uh, uh, who are, was founded NAMA. Um, but uh, NAMA is about leadership and mentorship at its core. Uh, we are about developing the next generation of leaders. We don't care where they uh, come from. You know, we've got Naval Academy Minority Association, but we uh, we reach out to uh, all kids, all young men and women who are interested, uh, you know, from the eighth grade all the way up uh, from their midshipmen to when they're junior officers and uh, even more in, in their uh, in their career. And so uh, that at its core is uh, is is what we do is identify and develop those next generation of leaders for our nation, and particularly uh, to attract them to go to the Naval Academy. So, Admiral Curtis, when, when you arrived at the Naval Academy, and I was talking before we went on air with Admiral Caesar about this, you know, in 1972, you know, a, a bit of a different dynamic uh, than we see than we see now. In fact, even Admiral Caesar was saying the only admiral that you could look up to and point to, um, you know, during those times, you know, as someone from the same background was Admiral Gravely. Um, General Bolden last week talked a lot about his time, you know, from the mid 60s to the late 60s at the Naval Academy and, and how that dynamic worked. What, what, are, what are your memories, um, you know, as an African-American at the Naval Academy in the in the early to mid 1970s? Well, it was uh, it was different, basically, you know, coming from the south side of Chicago totally different environment uh, coming into the Naval Academy, flying into BWI, first time on an aircraft. But thank goodness the Academy reached out to me to play football. And because I had the academic background, I uh, had the leadership uh, tools to get there, uh, I was able to be competitive. Uh, there was not a lot. I was the only minority in my company for three years. So that made it kind of tough. But, you know, you learn. Uh, the Academy teach, teaches you diligence. It teaches you um, resilience. And that's why we're there, you know, basically do it. So I had a lot of... Uh, good uh, support you know, system going through there. But yeah, it, it was definitely hard. I uh, started noticing the difference when I went on first class cruise. Uh, before first class cruise, I was going Marine Corps with the Quantico. I was the Marine Corps rep for the company. You know, I'm, I'm ready to go and fire M16s. And when I went on my cruise, I was up on about five ships. I didn't see any black officers. And to see how people in the waterfront just walking down the pier to see the enlisted on the they treated me like I was a rock star, you know, and I'm like, wow. So and, and they came and they shared and they encouraged. And and I saw that there was a need, basically, you know, for an example, as you just said, you know, to maybe make a change to maybe 
have some type of impact. And so with that, then I was fortunate enough to go on a cruiser for 30 days with Gary Ruffhead. At that time, Gary Ruffhead was our brigade commander when I was a plebe and I was on his color guard. Fast forward, he's Lieutenant JG Gary Ruffhead. I'm it's Jimmy Curtis. You know, we're re reuniting again. And so the example of what he was doing as a surface warfare officer, seeing the opportunity to impact, you know, a lot of people uh, just really helped, you know, I think propel me and convince me that surface line was the way to go to try to set an example and to be out there. But yeah, it was a uh, few and far between as, as the same thing parties general Bolden shared. And that's where some of the uh, emphasis on there was an organization, which is still in effect, uh, uh, NNOA. You know, they were a organization that reached out to minority officers because uh, there weren't any. And sometimes they were able to hold conferences, seminars and just speakers to see that, wow, there is a uh, there's a need. There's an organization and there's some help, basically, because. Uh, the environment was totally different. So things like that just kind of helped. And as we evolved, it, you know, with Admiral Caesar's leadership at NAMA, we started um, NAMA and it's sort of evolved from the Naval Academy. Uh, Dr. Uh, Dr. Dunn, you know, Kenny Dunn started the Eldorado Social Club as midshipman. I mean, he was a second class to start evolving to try to bring people together. That kind of evolved into Don Montgomery coming back with a chair, uh, with a grant from a majority uh, grad who said, hey, there's a need to try to make some changes here at the academy, uh, funded the chair for three years. And so he called a few grads back and every Saturday morning we'd be over there. How can we do? How can we help? Started a few conferences with the supported academy. In fact, one of them, we were all required to bring back a candidate. So evolved that into Byron Murchot saying, hey, I got the opportunity to lead the uh, Alumni Association. And by the way, John, you've done a magnificent job being the communications uh, expert at the Alumni Association. I've never seen comms like that. So but nice job. And so keep it up. You a lot of energy. Uh, and, yeah, so that yeah, you're doing great. And so that evolved into Byron saying we have to make changes. We have to make changes, demographics, age, gender, whatever it takes. So he started reaching out to people. He reached out to grads who had nothing to do with the academy for 30 years. He reached out to the women. Uh, so then our, our group said, how can we get better? So our membership committee said, look, we can let's look at other facets. And we knew about uh, getting the Eldorado Social Club. We knew there was a women's group and all. And then so we kind of came, made a charter, you know, made bylaws and let's get this structure. We got a 501 in like four weeks, which was remarkable for any nonprofit. Uh, and then how can we do it and how can we make an impact so that the mids now have uh, and excuse me, not just the mids, but the military, the corporate leadership and all have uh, an asset and have uh, tools and folks that they can see and look up to approach network and hopefully grow. Well, I'd like to pull the thread on that a little bit and then I'll throw it over to Chris Cervello, sure. who has, you know, a, a, a really good question. I know and I'm, I'm keeping him from it. But Admiral Caesar, you know, when Admiral Curtis was describing his time, you and I were, you know, as a midshipman at the Naval Academy, you and I were discussing when you were there. You know, there was a very large attrition rate. You know, you, you came in as as one of, you know, somewhere in the 140s to 150s in terms of minority midshipmen and, and only a very small number of those, maybe about 50 percent um, graduated. And you had to you had to really apply a discerning eye you know, to to what this was doing to operational readiness for the Navy. And, and to Admiral Curtis's point, getting out there to a ship and not seeing any black officers what was that experience like for you? You know, because I know that you were both there at the same time. I mean, you you attended NAPS before um, before coming in, and thus you graduated in '77. But how did that how did that dynamic inform you as a midshipman, and how does it still inform you now in the leadership position that you currently occupy? 
Well, first of all, uh, you know, during that time, uh, Admiral uh, Holloway, Admiral uh, Hayward uh, noticed the need for more African-American officers. Uh, that was a period of time, uh, you know, during the 70s, uh, you know, late 70s or so, uh, that uh, there were uh, incidents and things on our ships that impacted operational readiness. And it wasn't about being woke. It was about operational readiness, getting our ships underway because the demographics weren't right. The demographics weren't right. And, and so that led them to have some initiatives across the board. And one of those initiatives was they were saying, well, it won't impact right now, but it will impact 20 years from now if we put more African-Americans in particular into the Naval Academy you know, went to HBCUs and, and things of that nature uh, in order to um, uh, make sure things were, were right. Um, but uh, it impacted me a lot as a 17 year old. I came in as an E1 and when I went to boot camp in Great Lakes, uh, you know, I'd stand along and look at all the pictures on the wall and I didn't see anybody who looked like me. All right, very similar to Admiral Curtis, but I was E1, I was enlisted. And so I was wondering as a 17 year old, you know, you're a little insecure and everything, was the Navy a place for me? Was it a place for me? Because I didn't want them all to look like me, but I wanted a role model. We all emulate and want role models. And so uh, that impacted me to want to be a picture on the wall, to be quite frank, we did that. And that was the selfish reasoning of a, um, uh, of a young, you know, young 17, 18 year old sailor. Um, but I think that's why a lot of the members of not only my class, but some of the other classes, we became our own role models as midshipmen. Uh, you know, Admiral Curtis was a third class. We played football together. Uh, you know, he mentioned, uh, you know, Colonel uh, Dunn and some others. And so we were kind of our own bond that was there. Uh, but Admiral Gravely made it, uh, uh, easy, easier for me to come in to the Navy because he made flag in 1971. I came in in 1972. My family knew him and they said the Navy's fair. If Admiral Gravely can make it, my son can make it. So that's why it's so important for mentorship, for role models, because you just don't know who's looking at you and, um, uh, and, and everything like that. And John, if I can add, one of the things that Lucy uh, yeah. mentions, one of the programs we had while we were midshipmen, after graduation, you could do a program called Operations Information, whereas we can volunteer to go back to our hometown you know, for six months with this expressed mission of recruiting minorities for the Naval Academy and ROTC. So people went back to like Jason Cleveland, people went back to Louisville, Indiana, I went back to Chicago. So right there, you were also establishing you know, a, a president that we as young incense, we're out here trying to recruit, you know, for our Navy. And so that kind of sticks with you after quite a few years, too. And I think in those few years, we were able to really raise the number of uh, people, you know, giving admissions and being admitted to the academies and ROTC programs. Yeah, that makes a huge, huge difference. Um, Chris, go ahead. Yeah, I, John, I, I want to expand a little bit. Um, I've, I've had the uh, privilege to work with both of you. Admiral Curtis, I've had the privilege to work with you several times, but I, I know both of you, and both of you are known as 
team guys, uh, in addition to being great mentors, you're known as building and maintaining uh, teams. You're also known for building good teammates. Can you both talk a little bit about what it means to mentor, but your personal philosophy on mentoring, but then both of you are very successful at turning your mentors into other people's mentors. And can you talk about sort of that paying it forward process? Admiral Curtis. Yeah, well, well, thank you for that. And I don't know if I deserve all that. Uh, but also, uh, fun fact, uh, Chris Avella was the first PAO for now. So, Chris, really appreciate that. I know you had many critical operational jobs. And for you to sacrifice your time to help get us on the road, really appreciate that. And it's not forgotten. Uh, yes, it's uh, one of the things, the caveats is I've always learned and I learned from a high school football coach. He quoted me one time and said, to those who have much, much is required. And I thought he was brilliant. Yeah, I thought he had made that up. But later on, when I was in Bible study one day, I said, wow, that's in the Bible. So I think, uh, you know, one of the things is if you're blessed with uh, certain jobs, positions, opportunities, uh, you have to basically be grateful for it, number one, enjoy the blessing, but also give back to try to pull people along. So and that's been the premise, you know, as we've gone through taking a vested interest in and enlisted, number one, those guys who work for you and ladies, because those are the ones who are going to fight the war, who you expect to step up, you know, when the time comes to those that you're around as far as teammates in the wardroom, trying to make sure you're unified. Uh, and then other, the other peers and other associates, you know, to me, you know, being in command, being in a position, being in an organization, they, the better that they get, the better you get. So that's your division, that's your department, and that's your organization, because as, as they grow, you grow, then hopefully you're planting those seeds. I've always believed that people have uh, seeds of greatness. It's already planted there, and all you have to do is sprinkle it, direct it, and then hopefully they will also multiply and grow. And so, and that's the thing we've been doing. That's what we've always tried to do with NAMA. You know, you help one, you bring one, uh, and that one can help somebody else and, and continue the uh, the routine. Mentorship is uh, is so important, and just to play on that, it, it's about giving back. Uh, one, it's important to understand the mission of what you've got to do. You know, that's the Navy in man or a Navy in you know woman. You know, you got to look at you know what is your mission, how do you accomplish that mission. And then the other piece of that is how do you develop the people with that and, and to get them to understand and buy in, into the mission, uh, to understand um, uh, what motivates them, I think. You know, and, and particularly as I got more senior and began leading leaders, you know, you can't micromanage them. You know, you've got to give them some broad, you know, broad guidance to empower them. And, and that's what we're doing with NAMA. We have folks that have full-time jobs, big jobs that are doing some good things, but they're up one or two o'clock in the morning uh, making sure, you know, registrations are done. We're going to have a leadership conference April 18th through the 20th. I'll say it again, leadership <laughs> from April 8, 18th through 20th. All of our alumni are there. First day and a half is focus on leadership. And so that is a way for a lot of our alumni to be able to give back and when they buy into that mission, for our alumni really uh, turn to and take a round turn on being able to do that. And so I find that uh, uh, being able to, one, articulate that mission, and particularly, like I said, about leadership and role models and things like that, that's what we're about, uh, you know, across the whole spectrum. And you empower people. Um, I'm a swallow. I like to get into the details, but even from this experience, and this is leading, you know, volunteers because these people have other things to do. 
I'm not writing their W-2 or anything like that, <laughs> but they're uh, into uh, um, into what we're doing and developing that next generation of leader. And then once they're uh, they're into that, uh, we just let them, uh, you know, let them do their thing uh, uh, across the board. But vision is the key. It is. And and for me, you know, I, I've always viewed back when I was a lieutenant teaching in Loose Hall to when I was the PAO um, for Admiral Carter, I've always viewed the Naval Academy as the Harvard Kennedy School of Leadership. Mm-hmm. You know, this is where you go. This is where you want to be. Uh, not only if you want a great STEM education, not only if you want the moral, mental and physical um, aspect of your development, but to be a leader um, is something that lives on forever. And we've heard it from General Bolden. We've heard it from so many uh, alumni who come on this podcast. You know, for both of you, before I let you go, and, and you've been so generous with your time, I, I would ask you, and I I, I uh, started with Admiral Caesar, so I'll, I'll end with Admiral Curtis. You know, as we continue to recruit uh, the next generations, you know, and, and here you are, you've got you know, very interesting time, uh, not only for the Navy, but for DOD writ large. You, you know, you can't pick up the paper now without, you know, seeing that Laboon or Carney has, has used Seawiz or some sort of, um, yeah, exactly. Yeah, the, swell, the swell in me loves it. Um, <laughs> you know, but you're out there standing the watch and firing down Houthi missiles and, and doing impactful things. Uh, but at the same time, yeah, you've got You've got a bigger challenge in recruiting, not just on the enlisted side, where there's been a lot of news about, you know, allowing uh, recruits with, you know, without high school diplomas, without GEDs to join. But it's also, you know, across the board. No one at the Naval Academy now was alive when 9-11 happened. Uh, being in Afghanistan is a distant memory. So if if you're a young man or a young woman of color out there today, admirals, how do you, if you have a moment with them, you know, you're a BGO for a minute. You're not just a, an athletic and scholarship programs trustee or a member of the board or active in NAMA. You're just you're just trying to get someone to go to the Naval Academy. What do you say? What's what's the what's the sales pitch? You know, to continue to get impactful leaders, leaders of the future like the two of you to come to USNA. Well, I think it's a special place, and you mentioned it. Uh, it's just, it's a place of preparation. I never heard it called the Kennedy School, but you know the leadership laboratory. Uh, and we do have, and you know, folks out here and students who want to grow, who want to be great, who want to achieve, who have it in them to give a sacrifice. And sometimes uh, they are from military families, so they understand the whole concept. Sometimes they aren't. But I think we do. Uh, I would offer the challenge. The challenge of our Navy being a diverse organization, being a growing organization, being a professional organization, that you won't, of course, be the same person that started when you get to the end point. That end point could be five years, it could be 10, it could be 20. But with the numerous opportunities, very highly technical, and as you talked about war fighting, that's an opportunity, the opportunity for travel, the opportunity for different things, but also to work with a professional organization. You know, uh, a organization, a profession of arms where people are on the same accord uh, and marching to uh, protect it for something bigger you know, than ourselves. And that's our country. You know, that's our families. Uh, that's our, our, our community. So I think there's a lot that they can get out of it and, and appreciate it. Admiral Caesar. Yeah, well, first of all, I just want to give when you talk about mentorship, give a shout out to uh, NAMA Deputy Director Valerie Mansfield, class of 92. And uh, Calvin Bumpus, our uh, chief of staff, class of '97. Uh, those are folks again who bought into that vision and into that, uh, you know, into our, our our mission and doing some really great things. 
um, when I talk to recruits and, and particularly with their parents, because you got to win the parents over, uh, I just tell them my story. You know, a kid from inner city of Cleveland, um, being able to, you know, rise through the ranks. I don't like it being about me, but I have to make it personal. And the fact that, you know, my father passed when I was at Naps, um, you know, uh, you know, I'd been in Navy less than a year and, you know, how um, I was able to still as an E1 save up money, provide for my family, but then uh, for my mom as widowed at the time, but also get a first class education to, you know, to be able to travel and to be able to do some, uh, you know, some some great things. And the big thing is, as you mentioned, to get a great education. And yeah, it's a tough, tough business and things like that. Um, but, uh, you know, I talk about Maslow's hierarchy of needs. Ever since I've you know, been in, in the Navy, I've kind of been self-sufficient from 17 years old. And that kind of touches at some of the heartstrings. And then uh, for the athletes, you know, both Admiral Curtis and I, we got to play D1 football and be on TV. You know, those are the kinds of things that I think resonate with a lot of young, uh, you know, young men and, and women. Um, again, I don't like talking about me per se, but, you know, I talk about the 17 year old that I was and how the Navy did so much for me and allowed me to travel and to lead at a very, uh, at, at a very high level. And that tends to, uh, uh, and that we live in a great country as well. And uh, I um, uh, also tell some of the, the kids, if it's not you, then who is it going to be? Okay. Who's going to be my replacement? Who's going to be Admiral Curtis's replacement? He's done a good job with all his children going to Naval Academy and everything, but we need to be able to, uh, you know, to, to do that. So I think it's a twofold sell, one to the parents and to that student uh, as well. And that's what NAMA does. We go out and we talk to, to the, uh, um, <clears throat> to the students, uh, you know, we introduce them to STEM, we introduce them to robots um, and they, uh, uh, we, but we bring a Lieutenant around with us. In fact, we just did something with the Patriots foundation with Joe Cardona class of 2015 went to an underserved school in Brockton, Brockton, Massachusetts, but with the Kraft family, he saw what NAMA was doing. And for a hundred kids, he had on his uniform. He bought some of his teammates. We had on Navy blue and gold. We showed him how to program robots with iPads. That's the kind of things. And they were saying, boy, I can't, how'd you do that? What's the Naval Academy about? Those are the kinds of things that NAMA is making a difference and being able to get that next generation of, uh, of leaders. Well, it's not just the organization. It's it's gentlemen like yourselves. Uh, it's graduates, um, you know, of character and consequence, uh, which which I'm very very comfortable in in labeling you both as, um, and I'm very happy as an old SWO um, to share the uh, to share the microphone uh, with with these two great gentlemen. It makes me want to be back on the uh, on the EO desk, you know, <laughs> you know, taking control at the pack, high T five four. Let's slow one major uh, speed change. Uh, and go from there. But gentlemen, you still remember please. those uh, casualty control? That's good. Oh, I got the red book right in front yeah. of me here, sir. Come on, I, <laughs> I know what's up. Um, but uh, again, you know, the reason that we remember those experiences, the reason that we love, you know, our our past um, as naval officers, is because we're around great leaders. And Chris Cervello said it: uh, the two of you are are those kind of impactful leaders that make us remember and make us want to give back. That's why Chris gave back. 
um, as the NAMA PAO. That's why I'm giving back now um, at the Alumni Association and Foundation. And shoot, I'm not even a grad. Um, but <laughs> yeah, Admiral Curtis, before we go out, you know, I, I love using this podcast as a way of, you know, kind of doing those shout outs. You know, again, I, yeah. I'm, I'm a... Uh, you know, I'm 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 a lover of the old swell shout out on the flight deck. Um, you know, you know, honoring people who got their EL letter or or someone who got their SWO pin. But in this particular case, I know there are a lot of people. It's a village that makes this happen. Exactly. Um, you know, so I I'll I'll just kind of turn it over to you. Who are some of the people you'd like to thank and point out who have been so critical to the success of NAMA and you know, the evolution of this entire thing from, from the beginning to this very day. Well, you know, and, and I appreciate that, John. And I was just saying it was a swole. I mean, we had a lot of birthday parties, recognition, and doing it because people appreciate that. And, you know, we always say we stand on the shoulders of others. You know, the ones who came before us, you know, Wesley Brown, uh, Ken Johnson, uh, George Gaines, who were the first minority uh, captains who actually started in NOA, which is another affinity group for the entire uh, United States Navy. Uh, uh, Kenny Dunn, Don Montgomery came back, you know, and did well. And so, uh, you know, you said I was the founder. I'm the co-founder. There was a group of six former Navy football players, second swing, who sang second, who all beat Army, and one female fleet lieutenant who is now a lieutenant commander who spent hundreds of hours, meetings, trips to uh, come up with NAMA, construct it, and make it really a viable and lasting organization to, to support USNA. Uh, the team was Tom Miner, 74, Cleveland Cooper, 75. Carl Willis, 75, Stanley Gray, 77, Ed Gilmore from the great class of 76, and Lieutenant Arabia Little John Shanklin from 13. And we know all of us realize that our success is because of the Academy, and we want to give something back and make an impact. So thanks for the opportunity. But, uh, you know, we, we're going to continue uh, in Admiral Caesar's leadership uh, and all the group. We just want to make sure that uh, uh, the Academy continues. The Academy is inclusive. The Academy continues to do great things. And we'll continue to tell those stories, sir. Thank you so much for what you do. Thank you to you and Admiral Caesar for your continued leadership, not just now, but what you've done in the fleet uh, um, leading up to now. Uh, you have been great examples, you know, and, and for the purposes of this podcast, great examples of alumni. Uh, so thank you so much. Thanks, Lodge. I appreciate it. All right, ladies and gentlemen, we are going to go to break. When we come back, Chris Ravello and I are going to take this baby out. This is Sing Second. Sphinx Second Podcast is sponsored by ProMD Health. ProMD Health is a state-of-the-art medical practice comprised of several locations, all specializing in non-surgical treatments and procedures to help patients look younger on the outside and feel younger on the inside. At ProMD Health, their unique personal approach to medicine, coupled with their cutting-edge anti-aging treatments, provide their patients with unsurpassed care in a relaxing setting. They cater to patients that require the best in personalized medical care. Please visit ProMDHealth.com. Visit their office in Annapolis. Friend of the pod, Scott Melamed, has been the original sponsor of Sync Second, and we encourage you to visit the website for your non-surgical medical needs. All right, ladies and gentlemen, we are back. Um, awesome interviews. Uh, awesome, awesome African-American History Month so far. We were very hopeful to get David Robinson here at the end of the month, and I'm not saying we're not. Uh, we'll keep uh, our last interview of the month a little bit secret for now, but for right now, it might not be David Robinson uh, just going to prepare you for that. Um, as we go out, Chris, you know, I, I do want to continue to talk about the fact that um, the 
the men and women who graduate from this institution are going out into harm's way. It seems that you cannot um, read a news article now without hearing about a Houthi attack. Um, we just had another one uh, on a British uh, ship uh, in the last 24 hours where the crew had to abandon ship. Um, there, there are a lot of stories out there, and I recommend you know 60 Minutes on Sunday had a great story um, about the Dwight D. Eisenhower strike group and what sailors are doing to combat those. And just down there in Mayport, ladies and gentlemen, USS Delbert Black returned from deployment, um, you know, after going into harm's way, supporting, you know, the unrest between Israel and Gaza right now. Just remember that a lot of people out there are in harm's way. Chris, this is my opportunity to highlight your podcast that you do with Chris Cavus, the Cavus Ships podcast which brings you know, the current events of this very dicey uh, environment, particularly in the naval um, environment, you know, to, the, to the front of the conversation. What's your evaluation of where we stand right now? Because here you have multiple events, Navalny dying um, you know, in prison in Russia, you know, the unrest there. Uh, you've always got a China situation you know, kind of bubbling to the surface. You know, it, how... how how do you evaluate what's going on? Well, for years, um, Navy leaders and Marine Corps leaders talked about, you know, uh, high-end competition, that this is competition. You know, we're in a new era of competition. Well, I mean, that this is what competition looks like, right? Um, I, you mentioned the 60 Minutes piece. Um, fantastic job done by Vice Admiral Brad Cooper, 1989, graduate of the Naval Academy, um, as he was finishing up his tour at Fifth Fleet. He is now, um, I think, in the process of getting settled in Tampa as the deputy CENTCOM. So, you know, he's still very much uh, involved in that in that fight. But uh, I mean, I would encourage folks, as you did, John, to take a look at that uh, 60 Minutes uh, piece is to not only hear from Admiral Cooper, but some of the other uh, men and women that are involved in the uh, Houthi conflict. Um, I mean, our we've said it before, our graduates in every theater around the world, our graduates in the Navy and the Marine Corps, are on the front lines of high-end competition, whether it's um, deterring the Chinese, whether it's dealing with cyber attacks from North Korea, whether it's deterring the Iranians, shooting down Houthi missiles, um, you know, migrants along the border or uh, elsewhere in Northcom and, uh, and Southcom. Um, we're entering hurricane season uh, in the spring and summer. So we'll be, you know, we'll have graduates that are delivering aid uh, throughout uh, Southcom. I mean, it, it is a busy time. Um, and, and so, you know, you don't have to stray too far from the headlines to realize that when they say, you, you know, join the Navy, see the world, uh, they're not lying. Uh, you, you're going to see all sorts of parts of the world. And those world, those parts are very, very competitive. Very competitive indeed. And we do have to have one more shout out. I know Admiral Curtis got his chance to do some shout outs during his interview uh, with Admiral Caesar, but we do have to shout it out to now Vice Admiral Fred Kacher, who took the helm of Navy's massive U.S. 7th Fleet. Uh, he was the former commander of the San Diego-based destroyer USS Stockdale, and most recently, the superintendent here uh, in between the departure of Sean Buck and the arrival of Admiral Davids. Uh, uh, best of luck to Admiral Kacher. We tried to get him on before he... Uh, before he stepped away uh, to go to his previously assigned job, which is where we need him, you know, in Seventh Fleet doing good things. He was just a little bit too busy to come on, which I totally understand. But uh, Chris, I promise you, I'll get with his PAO and we'll try to get him on 
uh, here before the end of the pod year to get his perspective about not only his time as a superintendent, but the environment that he's seeing in Seventh Fleet, the same way that Admiral Cooper, when he was at Fifth Fleet, you know, did that during the 60 Minutes piece. I'm sure that Admiral Kacher has a lot to offer us uh, and talk about there. Before we go out, a couple more shout outs. Number one, Ava Yovino. Um, again, you know, Admiral Perry, the chief of information from the great class in 97, going to, uh, you know, St. Thomas Aquinas in Southern Florida. He's got to be happy that his fellow St. Thomas Aquinas grad, Ava Yovino, on the women's lacrosse team was named to the initial Tawaratan Award watch list. Uh, the Tawaratan Award, ladies and gentlemen, in case you're the uninformed, non-lax bro, is the um, is the Heisman Trophy for lacrosse. They award it to one men's player and one women's player every year. Uh, so shout out to Ava Yovino, who had an amazing plebe year that we got to cover when we were still doing Sing Second Sports last year. Um, yeah, it, it's it's just a great thing. And, and it, again highlights the brand of the Naval Academy and Naval Academy sports. Uh, hopefully she can be a part of a star winning team because again, at nine, nine and one, we need those stars. Uh, so hats off to Ava Yovino. And finally, I am late with this, but you know, it's just a couple of weeks ago, I was visiting my son at Dry 85 um, on Main Street and, and someone just called out my name. They were like, hey, John Schofield. Um, you know, and I don't know if you got the memo, Chris, perhaps it's in your spam, but I'm a pretty big deal. Um, you know, and, and, but I have a very recognizable nasally, often whiny voice and, um, someone sitting in the back just heard me talking and called me over and said, Hey, we love the podcast in Western Pennsylvania from the Pittsburgh area. You know, really love what you're doing. Continue to tell those stories. I told that gentleman that I would give him a uh, shout out on the pod and then I found out it was Alex Tesca's dad, you know, the fullback of the Naval Academy football team. And by the way, Randy Tesca, ladies and gentlemen, looks like he's 30 years old. So I don't know if Alex Tesca was born when he was 13 years old or what. But um, I, I really I am so warmed and I'll give you the last word on this. Whenever you and I are thinking that we're too busy, whenever we're thinking that this is a grind and I know it's more of a grind on you, Chris Cervello. Um, but whenever we're thinking that that this pod is really just us shouting at the rain and it isn't going anywhere and it's not making a difference, I get a random person who just makes me feel pretty warm inside. And, and Mr. Tesca did that for me the other night, um, you know, just telling me that the people of Western Pennsylvania, the parents of Western Pennsylvania and Pittsburgh love the pod, love what we're doing. Well, I'll tell you what, um, ladies and gentlemen out there, we love you for listening, uh, you know, for keeping us going and and keep the feedback coming because it's our job to give you that feedback. Chris, I'll give you the last word, but I know that you get a lot of that feedback down in Florida. You get a lot of it from your classmates, your brother's classmates. But, you know, before I get all sappy, I want to thank <laughs> you for, for the Herculean work that you do, not only editing this podcast, participating in it, but the other podcasts that you do, the other work that you do, you are very busy and you're uh, deserving, of course, of the plaudits. I'll send it over to you to take us out. I'll just say, John, I mean, we're very lucky to be able to have this opportunity to talk to Naval Academy grads, um, to Naval Academy midshipmen and those people that are part of the Naval Academy family. Um, yeah, it's a grind. I mean, we, like other people, uh, you, you know, we balance a lot of things in our life and, you know, some days it's more fun than others, but it, it, it only takes an interview with 
folks like Admiral Curtis and Admiral Caesar, or, you know, talking to General Bolden, or, you know, you you name it, um, you know, we've got some other uh, exciting interviews already taped and ready to roll out uh, throughout March. It, it You just do one of those interviews, you talk to a mid, you talk to somebody that's been an instructor at the academy for a long time, and you know, you're, you're right back to why, uh, you, we do this. And so uh, I'm very thankful. Thank you. Thank our listeners. And I particularly enjoy when they, uh, tell you what a big deal you are. That, that always makes my day. My fragile ego. Thanks, uh, Mr. Tesca and the rest of our fans out there for Chris Cervello. Many thanks to Admiral Curtis, Admiral Caesar, uh, our sponsors at Pro MD Health in Annapolis at Stratascore Technologies, and at Scott Shooter and the Shrek Realty Crew. If you want to be a sponsor, ladies and gentlemen, we will take your call. You'll be supporting great work and telling great stories. Uh, until next week, ladies and gentlemen, I am John Schofield. This has been the Sing Second Pod. We are out.